Uh, I will do as I usually do and remind everyone to go to HankStrange.com, sign up for our email list there. Lola is always sending out deals and different things like that uh, through the email list, notifying you guys. Maybe there's some videos we put up that YouTube decides to ghost as they've been doing lately. So that's the best way for us to try to uh, notify a ton of people that are out there. We do have patches that you guys can find on the website if you're looking for the patches. We still got patches um, and I've got some new ones coming. I think I shared, a, like did a little sneak peek of that yesterday. If you're looking for Lot Lao, which is Lifestyles of the Locked and Loaded, which is this channel, we've got those shirts out on Ballistic Inc. So please go check that out. As you guys are coming in here, smash the thumbs ups, share this video, do what you can to help us out. I think it's going to be a fun, interesting show tonight. I'm going to load up uh, my my guests here and I am going to go to the beginning. Let's hit the open button right now. Welcome back to the Hank Strange situation. Boom! All right, make sure Watch you guys subscribe to the channel, the smash the thumbs ups, ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live. We've got a new guest. Vincent Sheffaloo. Now, Vincent, we do this thing called jazz hands. Goes a little bit like this. Everyone has to do it, even the tough guys. Let's see those jazz hands. Come on. Let's see it. Oh, there you go, Vincent. All right, Vincent's doing, he's doing some kind of shuffle. All right. We are live. I hope you guys have your big girl panties on out there. You're, you're really going to need those. Uh, you, might, you might need the rubber ones tonight. Might be a little bit necessary for what we're going to get into here. This is episode 680 of the Who Moved My Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Hank Strange. Um, tonight, the uh, title of this is um, Rat Snakes. We've got author and uh, retired ATF agent Vincent A. Sheffaloo joining us. Vincent, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm great. I couldn't wait. I've been looking forward to this. Absolutely. Same here. Uh, I've been looking forward to it myself. I have been listening to the book, and I'll just tell everyone, here, let me throw up the book here for a second so you guys can see. This is the book, Rat Snakes, Vincent A. Sheffaloo. We're going to get into that. Uh, that's the proper pronunciation, I believe. Um, it's available. You can get it from Amazon, um, lots of different places out there, as well as Audible. I've been listening to it on Audible, and I am about like halfway through. Very uh, interesting, uh, very candid look, I think, behind the scenes at the ATF when it comes to the undercover investigators. Believe it or not, that's what uh, Vincent uh, was for how many years, Vincent? 27. 27 years. So joining us, my friend, there he goes, Babyface P, in the house joining us here <laughs> what's up so so you had to live a double life for 27 years basically yeah pretty much wow but yeah. a whole bunch of double lives okay so you it know, wasn't just there, one there, it was there's a whole bunch of different scenarios and um you know i went out every day maybe being somebody else oh wow yeah so this, uh, listen, I really, I, I'm telling you guys this. I, first of all, I enjoy having authors come on, people who've lived a life, and then they mm -hmm. come on to tell us about that life. It's, it's awesome to me. It's one of the things I aspire to be. At some point here, I will write about this whole YouTube experience, and everyone's going to get exposed <laughs> in my book. <laughs> but uh, no, not really. I like fictional stuff. But um, I really do enjoy talking to folks 
out there, and we will allow you guys to answer, uh, ask us questions and things like that. Patrick, uh, when you look at Vincent, like if you walked into a bar or you were walking down the street, and Vincent, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way, this is what this is what gave you your undercover chops, I believe. You- you don't what, what look like you the you don't look like the suit wearing ATF agent that I picture <laughs> no, no. in my mind when I think of like going to to ATF headquarters. Uh, I had a suit. Well, I had two suits. So you had court, two, two. Okay. One for church. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. So is that like, you know, I'm going to get into to the background of who you are and everything. But was that a massive part of your job? Because. Like, I, I'm trying to say, like, I don't mean this as an offense, but you look like a criminal. Well, that that was part of the job. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that was like step one. Right. But looks looks won't get you very far. Um, mm-hmm. no, no shit gangsters can right. see yeah. right out that. So you got to have some game. Yeah. I mean, um, if, I, if I was in Hollywood, I would book you so fast. Yeah. I'd like that. You could be up, Hollywood. <laughs> you could definitely. Right, am I am I wrong in this, Patrick? No, no. You could. You could. I mean, you live. He lived the part, Hank. He, yeah. Of course, he could do it. Central <laughs> casting. It was. I mean, so so getting into some of your your roles, how dangerous did they get? Could you, if you didn't live the part perfectly, could you have wound up dead somewhere? Good question. Well. If you lived it perfectly, I would hope the answer would be no. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know going in what perfectly is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they go left, you go right, and it works out good. Or they go left, and you go right, and they're like, wait a minute. What what do you say? What, why are you doing this? Why, are, why can't I get your... Home number. Why Talk can't... to the lapel cam, please. Yeah, just, just, just right into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Wearing a wire. Yeah. So uh, let's let's um, for sure, like right off the right off the back, I could say, if I was, and I'm not, I'm like a sweet angel. I have never like even jaywalked in my life. I'm just saying. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, if there's any other, <laughs> if there's any, if like the ATF or anyone, any other government <laughs> alphabet agencies are listening, pure, sweet, innocent angel over here. But, you know, let's say I was a criminal and I was looking to do a deal. I would probably look at Vincent and go, oh, yeah, this guy is definitely, he can't, he, there's no way, no, no way <laughs> well, he could be you know, the, the popo. You know it's, it's- Freaking! Did you just call me a hobo? No, I said popo, popo. Oh, popo, not the hobo. The reason I said that is somebody called me a hobo once. Uh, No, that's disrespectful. You know, this is what made me comfortable. Mm -hmm. Looking like this, acting the way I act. You know what? What put me in role where I felt comfortable? But I literally, there's a story in the book where one of our guys went and did a meth and a gun deal. And he was dressed like Lord Fauntleroy. Mm-hmm. He had a three hundred dollar uh, uh, raincoat, you mm-hmm. know, uh, London, London fog. Fauntleroy. Yeah, London fog type thing. And he had a hot hat, like a fedora, <laughs> right. and slacks, and shiny shoes. And he walked in, and he played it like a pro. Bought the dope, bought the guns, mm-hmm. in out. It was, and I was like in awe. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you mean I really don't have to look like a vagrant to do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's what worked for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing. But look, let's do this. Let's start off because I think that your background will probably in some places be surprising to folks. So let's just go back a little bit. Like, tell us, you know, uh, where were you born? What kind of family were you born into? How were you as a kid? I was middle class as could be. Um, I was born in Marin County, California, um, just outside San Francisco. And uh, I was a single single kid, you know. My mm-hmm. parents didn't have any more kids. My dad was a bartender. My mom was a nurse. And uh, it was pretty good and standard for most of my life. And then, you know, um, they got divorced. And so it was just me and my mom. And when she had to go to work, I felt like I had better shit to do. And mm-hmm. I did it. Didn't okay. work out so well. Yeah, so you were kind of like a bad kid from from uh, listening to the audio book. Really you were a bad kid growing up. Okay, I went from eleven years old to seventeen years old in state institutions, wow. in and out, but mostly in. Right. Yeah, that's that. So that was the interesting part because I think in the beginning of the book you would talk about uh, escaping from juvie. <laughs> yeah. Kind of proud of that in a really twisted and demented way, but yeah, Yeah. you know, I don't know. See, like to me, it's not super surprising because I remember growing up as a kid, my cousins, they were were the biggest bad boys, like the most gangster cousins I had when I was in high school became police officers. Really? No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not saying that always happens, right? There's a lot of police officers or law enforcement people who are very by the book and all that kind of stuff their whole no, life. No, but there's, there's, there's a certain draw. Um, guys who like the edgy life, um, mm-hmm. like a little adrenaline and what have you, mm-hmm. you know, it came down to me. I can be a crook for the rest of my life and get that adrenaline or clean my act up mm-hmm. and do what I always wanted to do since I was a little kid and be a cop and get the same adrenaline, but... Not looking over my shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, do it with a badge. Yeah, well, I had a little. I had a little help from a judge in Marin County, but okay. So basically, I think so. That part of it is at some point. Did you say that was when you were like seventeen? The the judge gave you an uh, like an ultimatum. Yep. Okay. Um, and uh, it was uh, a reckless driving, uh, racing. Mm-hmm kind of thing but mm-hmm. I had been in there so many times and I was of age he could give me like legitimate jail time and he was just over my shit mm-hmm. and he gave me one last chance the part I didn't put in the book was that I was like oh shit what am I going to do what am I going to do so I ran down to the air force recruiter mm-hmm. thinking I'd get a nice skate you know oh. do my <laughs> Little Air Force time and everything. Right. And they did my criminal history, background check and everything, and they went. Because they were winding down from Vietnam. We were just getting out of the Vietnam oh, War. Oh, okay. So they, they weren't hurting for people. Mm. And uh, okay. the Air Force looked at my background, and they went, ah, sorry, dude. Nothing yeah. we can do for you. So right. I was walking out of the recruiting station, and the Marine Corps recruiter was leaning up against his door, and he was like, Psst, hey, kid, <laughs> A okay. true story. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to do something where I was going to jail, so I talked to the Marine Corps recruiter, and the rest was history, baby. <laughs> so wait, so that's interesting. Okay, so the judge gave you an ultimatum, like uh, spend, go to year to, uh, like come back in thirty days, mm-hmm. and you'll either be uh, enlisted in the U.S. military, okay, for four years, or I bring your suitcase because you're gonna do a year in jail. Do do a year, so. You try to do the Air Force, so I'm guessing like the Air Force is kind of the easy, like if you had to choose one of the military things, Air Force well, is easy. I know easy. Air Force people won't like to hear that. But. No, well, there's, they still work their asses mm-hmm. off, but mm-hmm. easier in right. terms of military regimen compared mm-hmm. to the Marine Corps. Right. And, uh, but they weren't having none of it, my clock was ticking, so... Hmm. I raised my right hand and I was gone in two weeks. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> good choice. Okay, so how long did you spend in the Marines? Six years. Oh, okay. oh wow! Okay, six yeah. years active duty. I did four. Okay, I married my childhood sweetheart, oh. and we were doing good. I made rank, and I started college. Mm-hmm. But I had gotten about two years into my college, so I said, if I can re-enlist for two more years, or Extend. It wasn't really mm-hmm. realistic. It was an extension of my original contract mm-hmm. to the six years. Um, I might be able to finish my college. Mm-hmm. And so I shipped over for two more years, went to Camp Lejeune as a military policeman, and uh, still didn't finish my college. So it wow. was time to shit or get. Either I was going to make <laughs> a career out of it or finish my college on the outside. Okay, so you became an MP. Right. I was a military policeman. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. By the way, actually, mm-hmm. um, another story I don't think was in the book. Mm-hmm. When I was at Camp Lejeune, we were just standing up the fast teams, the, the anti-terrorist teams. Okay. And so we were training. We had a budget to train state and local law enforcement. So they'd come to Camp Lejeune. We trained their SWAT teams, to put it simply. Mm-hmm. Well, the Athens Police Department, Athens, Georgia, came up, went through, and we were talking and drinking beer and doing all the things you do during mm-hmm. training. And they went, so you're about to get out? I said, yeah, dude, I'm about 90 days short. Um, I need to find a job because I'm, and my ex-wife was from Georgia. Mm-hmm. So it's like the stars aligned. And they went, dude, we'll get you hired in Athens, man, because um, we had been training together. So I got out, and within 90 days, Athens hired me. Okay, and Athens hired you as what? As a police officer. As a police officer. Okay. Police department. Hmm. Interesting. And this and was what the 80s. And was this? Then I, I was always looking at the feds. I crossed okay. past a bunch of feds, FBI, DEA, Secret Service, and when those guys walked in the room, it was like what to a local cop. Right. You know. I went, oh, shit, I want to be one of them. And so that's where I set my sights, and the rest is history. Okay. So, okay, so uh, I'm trying to, so this was the 80s, right, when you? Right. Okay, so you went into law enforcement first. So you, you got a degree also. Right. Okay. I finally got my degree while I was in Athens Police Department mm-hmm. and then started applying to all the federal agencies. Well, the U.S. Customs Service it was during the big, the cocaine wars and the big buildup in South Florida. Mm-hmm. All the boats and the blimps and the airplanes and helicopters. And yeah, Miami Vice. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was. It was mm-hmm. Miami Vice days. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took that job. It was the first one, first fed job that I was offered. But then I ran, after about a year and a half, I ran into some ATF agents on a really big case. We were working at Customs. And I went, oh, those guys, those guys rock. Okay. Like we had 20, we had 20 agents on this big smuggling case and they sent two guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that <laughs> so they, they were like superstars. <laughs> yeah. 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 They came riding in white horses and did with two guys what we were doing with 20. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of like the edge of that. Like that's probably I like did. the Marines, right? That's probably a, like the Marines do that too, right? That there's usually less Marines than any other. Uh, you know, I, I often compared and mm-hmm. I still compare my days in the ATF. I'm not vouching for anything craziness going on now, but mm-hmm. my days in the ATF was very much like in, being in the Marine Corps. Small, elite, under the radar, and when we were in Treasury, man, we killed it. We kicked ass. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think there's a couple of things here. By the way, let me before I forget this, uh, friend uh, Dave from Down the Barrel says, Air Force has the best food. I think, I think he was in the uh, Army. I agree. But, no, um, well, the name, I used to chase prisoners over to Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the first time in the military, my whole military career, I walked into a mess hall, and they went, how would you like your eggs, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so you did, so you, you've got a degree. What's your degree in? My bachelor's is in criminal justice. Okay, so you have more than a bachelor's? I have a master's in forensic psychology. Okay, so you got a master's. Okay. See, uh, this is why you shouldn't judge people. <laughs> right? This is oh, why. <laughs> dude, and I love it. I love it. When I get called, asked to come out as a keynote or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people look at you people weird. See yeah. me and they make those judgments. Yeah. Same as the bad guys. Yeah. You know, they make assumptions based on what they see right here and right now. Yeah, I can see you going to like a high school or a college and the kids don't know and they're trying to get something from you, you know, like you see let's, let's see if we can get some weed off this guy or something <laughs> before before you come on there. And also to me this is like a, a good you know, if you need a clearer example of the what the American dream is than this, I don't know, because you know, here's someone who grew up like as a kid, you you were a bad kid, you were getting into trouble all the time, you know, you're in juvie and all this kind of stuff, and you were able to turn your life around and serve as a Marine, get a get a, up to a master's degree, right? And have this uh like what I'm gonna assume is a full career in, Dude, in law it enforcement. Was, it was the textbook American dream, but I've got to say this, and there's not enough time in this podcast mm. to, to tell everybody. So I'll just give you a generic I had a lot of people behind me Mm -hmm. the juvenile justice system back my play the counselors the you know the uh, guards the the social workers the you know the people at Hannah Boys Center Mm -hmm. um, they never gave up on me so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like I did all this by myself and I just lifted myself up I had my parents were behind me, you know, the whole time. They never gave up on me. So I had a lot of uh, motivation to get it right. I just it, you know, the stars aligned because 
I can tell you about a third of my friends I grew up with are dead. Mm-hmm. The other third either have AIDS or in prison. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 no exaggeration. Yeah. So I was yeah. blessed. Yeah. I mean, that particular, it's this particular, you're still here. You're still kicking ass. Who knows what goes from here? Maybe you be, you know, you start acting or something like that. Movies or get maybe made a New York Times bestseller. Hey, you know, it's all good. It <laughs> I'm just thinking. So Vincent was telling us behind the scenes that this book has been out for a year. Um, so we were supposed to have him on, I guess. We could, we could have had him on a year ago, um, which I'm thinking now, man, we should have done that because Vincent is a complete... You know, he's a complete character. We, we, you know, if you're looking for things to do in your retirement here, I don't know what you're getting up to. We, uh, you know, we might, uh, we might invite you back here. And by the way, what, what are you, what are you drinking over there, Vincent? Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. Okay. Um, this so you probably didn't pick up on that in the book that I'm somewhat of a <laughs> Jack Daniels aficionado. Well, uh, right here, there's totally alcohol. So uh, okay, I'm going to show you something. Hold on. Hold tight real uh, quick. Uh, uh, see if I can do this. Okay. Let's see. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Is that um, a like shrine to, to, <laughs> to Jack Daniels? Is, is that what that is, Patrick? I wouldn't even realize that. Okay. That's a statue of Jack Daniels. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay. You're for reals. <laughs> I didn't even know, Patrick, you knew that. I didn't even realize. Well, I, I, I kind of recognize. I, I like my Jack a little bit, but oh. yeah, I kind of recognize. <laughs> wow, Hank. Uh, if you're not aware, Hank is not a drinker, <laughs> at, like at all. Yeah. So, okay. uh, not that he opposes it. It's just no. I believe Hank. You said it puts you to sleep, so you never drink anything. Yeah, you know that's the thing that probably kept me alive. Like I don't like drugs and all that kind of stuff. The coffee puts me to sleep. Alcohol puts me to sleep. You know, I'm crazy like this with nothing. It's just I guess I'm. <laughs> I'm wired wrong or something like that. So, um, yeah, so this is natural high. You got natural high, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Patrick, do you have any questions here? I uh, no, I'm, I'm just enjoying the conversation. <laughs> uh, when, when something pops up, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Yeah. So can you tell us where you are now? You're, you're retired, right? I'm retired. I'm in tri cities, Tennessee, mm-hmm. bought a lake house. Okay. I hunt, I fish, I drink heavily. <laughs> so, so being in retirement and having put many a many a folk away, do you do you have to like watch your back at all? Do you feel like at any moment there could be you know it could be your time somebody could come try to find you? Um, no. What? You know what? I kind of I was raised with a bunch of uh, old Treasury revenue dudes. And those guys, those were some courageous dudes. They'd go out in the woods and stay for three, four days at a time waiting to bust a still. Oh. So, you know, I, I I was raised in this job by some really, really talented police officers and federal agents. Um, and one of the things I realized early on, if you ain't got a stomach for it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I guess that. There's a risk. We've had agents attacked. We've had, you know, things happen, threats made and what have you. But I'm easy to find. But there better be more than 30 of you. <laughs> OK. Um, so, yeah. One of the, by the way, shout out to Razor JB. I see I see uh, Razor out there. Um, 
Uh, Razor JB says schedule his next appearance already. <laughs> Listen, if uh, we could definitely fit you in, man. We do this. We do this like uh, Monday to Friday over here. So, what kind of in in your career? That that question that Patrick just asked, I thought was a good one. In your career, what kind of bust did you make? Because I know that folks tuning in and seeing this as an ATF agent, they're probably wondering. You know, were you going after the guys like us, gun guys? I know that we don't have we don't have lots of good opinions about the ATF around here. I got modern mm-hmm. ATF is is a dirty word to us right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. um, we earned it. We've earned it with some of our chicanery. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this: um, I worked everything. Literally, I could get up in the morning and not have a clue. I could have a deal done by that day. Mm-hmm. A hand-to-hand with uh, some gangster for some dope or guns or bombs or who knows what, some white supremacist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could get a phone call, um, as happened, and I was in Vegas for six months, mm. you know, with no notice. Hey, love you, wife. Love you, kids. Um, see you when I see you. Mm. And... Uh, you know, that turned out to be a long-term, very complicated, deep undercover operation. Okay. Um, so was it like, so is far, it? Wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. Okay. I do want to address the one thing you mm-hmm. asked. Mm-hmm. Do we go after folks like you? Mm-hmm. I never, ever sent an innocent person to prison. Now, that being said, and I mentioned it in the book. Mm-hmm. I was asked on several occasions to press the envelope. Somebody, there was a Vietnam veteran. He brought back uh, AK that he took off of some North Vietnamese army guy or a Viet Cong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Killed him, took his weapon. Spoils of war. It, shipped mm-hmm. it back. Problem was they did away with the, uh, the war trophies mm-hmm. act. Mm-hmm. What have you? Mm-hmm. So it was technically illegal. Mm-hmm. It was mounted on his mantle, and the barrel had been welded shut. Okay. It was okay. Special Forces, a Green Beret in Vietnam. The guy was a but, Green Beret? Yes. Okay. And his wife and him were getting divorced, mm-hmm. and she got a case of the ass. And notified the local police who mm-hmm. notified ATF that this guy has a fully operational machine gun in his house. Blah, blah. And so I was tagged to do the undercover. And I went and I met the guy and I saw what we were talking about. And I went back and they said, all right, we need to do a search warrant. You go in and we'll do the search warrant. You get him talking about the gun and everything. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. This is, if there was ever a case for an abandonment, which is a procedure in ATF, if you come, your grandpa dies and you find a machine gun in his attic and you don't want it, but you abandon it to ATF and no harm, no foul, and we just destroy it or do whatever we do with it. Mm-hmm. And I I thought this is a perfect case for an abandonment. War hero, Silver Star, I believe. Um and we went to war, and I just said, I'm not doing it. I will not do it, and I'll testify in his behalf if the case comes to court. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And the bosses finally backed down and sent the agents out to take an abandonment, which was kind of sad to me. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy earned 
the trophy, but it was better than going to prison and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Was that so was we, that destroyed? We don't, after, we don't go after guys like you. Mm-hmm. We go after guys that are either killing people, planning do do harm to people. Yeah. Um, so, okay, there's a couple of things there. Len Holt says, uh, is it safe to say Vincent was on the enforcement side over policy side of the ATF? Um, yes, I was absolutely enforcement. Um, policy would have come in if I had promoted up through the boss system, but there came a point where I decided I was not going to go that route because mm-hmm. I couldn't stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the policies. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be a boss, be a boss. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't concur with some of the things, some of the ways ATF was going. So I chose to be a street agent my whole career. Okay. All right. Um, you know, I, I got to respect that. <laughs> not everyone wants to be a grunt the whole time, right? At some point, people decide, hey, I want to wear the nice fancy suits and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? In in all actuality, mm-hmm. there was sort of a mantra throughout ATF. Um, the highest grade you can get as a street agent is a GS-13. That's mm-hmm. a pay grade is all. Mm-hmm. But that's the highest you can get as an agent, not being a boss. And everybody to a person that I knew and respected that I worked with said GS-13 for life. You start getting into the policy part of ATF, you start selling your soul just because of the way the agency was constructed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a like that's a tough line, right, Patrick, to to walk here, because I yeah. think we 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 rant on the ATF. I mean, we've done it recently. Yeah. So, do you did you feel like there was? Is there kind of a disconnect between the the foot soldiers and the guys making policy? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're including the policy making mm-hmm. because there are so many field agents out there. There, there are icons of ATF that are out there. Just Google them. There's some like no shit heroes and guys who have made, you know, blockbuster cases. And nobody ever came to them. Nobody ever said, look, we're getting ready to adjust our firearms policy or our enforcement policies. What do you guys think about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big problem. Yeah, I think the big problem. Always knew better. Yeah. Trust me. I think a big problem over at the ATF is the policy, the politics side of it. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that the people at the top tend to be political appointments, right? So sometimes, well, you know, you got the wrong guys in there or they're trying to dismantle maybe the Second Amendment versus like you, you're you saying you guys were going after the bad guys that were using guns. And, and I mean, ATF is more than just guns, right? So it's alcohol, tobacco, firearms. Well, and fire, explosives. Loads, and explosives, yeah. arsons and bombings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what was the – what was – so enforcement or undercover work that you did – was that I know in the book you talk about uh, back in the days I guess the you know the first wave of guys were going after the moonshiners, right or the or alcohol because that you know which to me that's a politics thing right there, you know why did they make alcohol illegal? No, it really wasn't. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, going back to the thirties, yeah, mm-hmm. the, that was a politics thing, mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, the Prohibition Act. But I was talking about in the 60s and 70s. Okay. Um, but there was a real big problem at the time, and that's why the the agency was formed in, you know, the 70s. And Yeah, 72, right? It was correct, mm-hmm. July of 72. Mm-hmm. And at that point, there was so much bad liquor going around. People were dying. People were going blind. There was untaxed liquor sales going crazy. So really? it wasn't. It wasn't a push against alcohol. It was a push against illegal alcohol. Okay. But then the gun control act, we got swooped up in that, and they said, hey, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, mm-hmm. perfect agency to enforce these. Well, these were basically new new laws, three years, four years old, mm-hmm. and they were dumped in our lap. So we had to develop policies to enforce the gun control act and the NFA and everything. Right. What's your take on the What's your take on the Second Amendment? Let's just get that out. It's probably a blunt question, but um, how did you look at it, and how do you think that your fellow agents looked at the Second Amendment? And I know, like your viewers are going to probably start typing bullshit. I call <laughs> bullshit, but to a man, mm-hmm. I mean, there were those standouts that were just playing politics, or if it was a Democrat in office, they were trying to move up the ladder by being anti-gun and blah, blah, blah. And there's always those knuckleheads. You always got the 10%. But in general, ATF agents love guns. And they love the Second Amendment. They, We are the only agency. Think about it. Tell me another agency whose jurisdiction is solely based on the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Tell me one amendment that talks about the FBI or um, authorize the FBI to do shit, the DEA, the uh, U.S. Marshals, the, none of them. But the Second Amendment is square in our lap. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting but, way to know, look at it, at least. Mm-hmm. We were not the gun police, as mm-hmm. many think. Um, we, we like nothing more than to go out and get a report or a an informant or something and then look at it and go, he's just a dude with some guns, man. Mm-hmm. We're not wasting our time on that and move on to something else. Yeah. So I think they would. So I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Sure. I think there would be some people out there that would say that the whole existence of the ATF is basically against the Second Amendment or the Constitution, right? Because it's not nah, supposed to be any not, infringement. We have laws. Mm-hmm. Somebody is going to enforce a gun control act. Look, we elect Congress. Congress passes laws. Mm-hmm. So when they pass laws or your city council passes laws or your state legislature passes laws, they're going to hand that jurisdiction or the enforcement responsibility to somebody. Mm-hmm. That's how the country works. Okay. Right. Um, ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, we, we have no laws. We probably have too many. I would I'm say sorry? I, I was going to say ultimately, you know, to make a society, you have to have laws. Okay, we probably at this stage in America have too many. But the truth is, is, yes, we do have laws. Someone has to enforce that and someone has to go after the bad guys. Uh, You know, I mean. Yeah. And there's not not a besides drugs, there's really not a more um, worthy cause than people out there shooting people illegally with illegal guns and 
mm-hmm. going on and everything. That's all we were formed. We, we we're not out there taking nobody's guns. Okay. Uh, Dan hates you. Has a wants to interject this. He says that the border patrol's authority is in the Constitution, not once but twice. <laughs> trying to okay. <laughs> sure it is if he says so but where uh yeah yeah let us know dan we'll 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 flip through where's my constitution i got one here just let me know or patrick if you could find it uh just for the sake of argument listen we're gun guys we love to argue so um okay so someone has to go after the bad guys can you can you um tell us what kind of bad guys you went after like, who oh, are these guys? Oh, gammon. Um, you know, in the 80s, it was uh, Colombian and Peruvian and mm-hmm. whatever drug dealers, cocaine mm-hmm. cowboys in South Florida shooting mm-hmm. up, you know, South Florida and Miami. Um, in the 90s, it became Crips and Bloods and mm-hmm. folk and the, all the inner city black gangs who like drew our attention, the Jamaican posses, Mm -hmm. Um, depending on where you work, you might not have any of that. You might be in Oklahoma and have a Ku Klux Klan or the white Aryan resistance or, Mm -hmm. or somebody like that, that you're focusing on. They're creating problems around there. You might be in New York and it may be a bunch of Puerto Rican gangsters on in the Bronx doing it. It depended kind of, you know, we went where the crime was. We Mm -hmm. didn't go, you know, we didn't generate the crime. It's like when I was in Atlanta, it was kind of unique. It was kind of very weird because one of my biggest cases in Atlanta was the I Refuse Posse, mm-hmm. and we dismantled them. They were controlling and just absolutely destroying Southwest Atlanta. Okay. And uh, when we took them out in, in the weeks and months that followed, People were coming out of the project, people coming out of the low-income areas and everything, hugging us, tell us thank you, getting those guys off our street. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, I stepped right in. I got a good informant in the Outlaw Motorcycle Organization, mm-hmm. a purely white, you could say white supremacist mm-hmm. uh, motorcycle club, you know, a national motorcycle club. Mm-hmm. So it... it there was I, I can't answer who we would go after, except for where I was at. You know, okay. San Francisco. We had a lot of Asian organized crime going on, okay. so we would work the Asians. You know, in Chinatown and what have you. Mm-hmm. So, it seems to me from from what I've uh, seen so far in the book that you guys were using the RICO statutes a lot, right? Is that true? or I wouldn't say a lot. Okay. Because a RICO is manpower intensive. It's mm-hmm. time intensive. Mm-hmm. It's money expensive. Okay. So, I mean, if the target we were working at the given time put themselves in a position to be maybe subject to the RICO Act, we might spend those resources and time. Okay. Okay. So mostly you were... The, the ATF was brought in because you had these, so let's say we're talking about bike gangs or um, whatever different gangs we had in different parts of the country. It was brought in to kind of like tie together the fact that maybe they were they were uh, selling drugs or, or somehow in business of violent drugs crime. and violent crimes, which involved guns. 
right? So that's the reason. Is that how you guys right. came Guns together? Guns and or bombs. And okay. ATF was unique back to the Marine Corps scenario, mm-hmm. doing more with less. Mm-hmm. ATF is unique. I, I'm sure you guys have seen the movie The Untouchables. Right. Yes. Well, that was sort of the underpinning of ATF. Mm-hmm. The, the prohibition agents and what have you. And then later we became an agency. Mm-hmm. But that being said, what you noticed in The Untouchables that is true to this day and is carried on throughout our history as ATF is you send one ATF or two ATF guys into a major city and they will cultivate assets mm-hmm. with the local homicide or the local drug unit or vice or auto theft or whatever. If we see a problem like's going on in Chicago now, we'll come in, we'll marry up with the local PD assets and the resource because we got the big wallet, mm-hmm. the better equipment, and then we come in and we marry up and attack a given problem. That's That about the Untouchables movie was very accurate because that's what we do. Okay. All right. Kind of like a guerrilla warfare kind of thing, I'm guessing. Yeah. In terms of going Kind of like the Special Forces. You know, yeah. they send in a 12-man A-team, but then gather up the villagers to fight the enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, same thing with ATF. We come in. Um, I will say if there is a federal agency that mirrors or mo- is most comparable to street police work, it would be ATF. Hmm. And everybody will tell you that. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Obviously, the FBI has a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. They don't share information or they take your information and they're not, they don't play well with others. I, I'm, I'm not. That's not my opinion. That's been widely publicized. Is there um, – uh, do you feel like there is some sort of uh, feud amongst the, the alphabet agencies? Absolutely. Has been is there? always will be. Hmm. But that feud – those feuds are very isolated. Clearly, the FBI and ATF from July of 1972, boom. Why? Because – all the bombings, all the arsons, all the cool stuff, the violent crime, the ga- the drive-bys, the gangsters and everything came to us. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like that. Okay. You know, they think they should be the end-all to end-all for everything. And they do a lot of shit really good, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm just saying it was not – there's not a lot of FBI agents who can travel in our world, mm-hmm. our being ATF. Mm-hmm. They're the suit and tie guys you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the interesting thing about that, and people can correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems like the movies uh, reflect more, a lot of that stuff uh, as the as the FBI going after it. Like, I don't seem to remember a lot of movies out there where the, the agent fighting this stuff was an ATF agent. Is that is that well, wrong? or? No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one with Denzel Washington, that was a great... ATF movie. Um, uh, which one was Denzel an ATF agent? Oh, Google it up, man. I'm, okay, yeah, I'm, let me pull. I'll pull up his. I'll pull up his stuff. Uh, um, no, no, give me a sec. Yeah, it's a one-word title. Hmm. One-word title. Let's see, Denzel. Okay, and then while we're while we're trying to figure that out, down the barrel. Speaking of Denzel, he says, "What's was the it cr- de- deja vu?" No, that's- deja vu. Okay, he okay. was an ATF agent. Oh. He was in that. Okay. And um, Jackie Brown 
Come on, brother. Oh, Come okay. on. See, I got to go back. I got See, because it wasn't registering in my brain. Like in the movies, it's all, the glory always goes to the FBI. Okay, so so who? what was Keanu Reeves in? Uh, what was that movie that Keanu Reeves was in where he's shooting? They have, they have 10,000 agents. Mm-hmm. We have 2,500 agents. Mm-hmm. Our budget is a billion nine or something. Their budget is twenty billion. Okay. So I think their media presence is is a little better than ours. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, plus, remember, for the first twenty years of my career, we were under U.S. Treasury Department. Okay. FBI was justice. We were treasury. Okay. So every time these fights happen, the Department of Justice had to fight treasury, and they were doing their political thing out there, and we just did what we wanted to do because we weren't, we didn't care about the FBI or anybody. But when we were placed under justice after 9-11, now we all had to be in little lockstep with FBI and DOJ, and mm-hmm. we were a lot leaner and meaner under Treasury. Okay, well, I was wondering if you had more money under the Treasury, right? Because Treasury would probably no, no, no. Okay. we were we were horribly underfunded and mm-hmm. underrepresented in Treasury. Under Treasury, when I came on, was the Customs, the IRS, the Secret Service, and ATF. Okay, hmm. that was us. But because think about it. Secret Service, they're not going to tell you shit. Mm-hmm. You're never going to hear a press release or whatever, mm-hmm. unless there's an assassination attempt or mm-hmm. something. But they still they, limit what they say. They don't really put a yeah, lot of info out. Biden under the radar. Mm-hmm. The only one that really ever gave us grief was the NRA. Um, Customs was kicking ass in South Florida, mm-hmm. seizing tons of drugs, and the IRS, everybody hated already. Mm-hmm. So we were cool <laughs> over there, and we were under the radar. Dude, I did so much shit. I kicked so many doors under Treasury that once we came to justice, took me about three or four more steps to get the authority and the authorization to go kick the same doors. Okay, yeah. Um, that's funny. That just reminds me of uh, in the book you say the first – can you tell the story of the first time you kicked in a door? How'd that go? That was. Do you remember that from the book? You should. Was that the one I, the one where I put my foot through the door? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I put my foot through the door. Literally. Right. They, they I finally earned the respect and the whatever of my fellow agents, and the I, you're breaching this door. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever told me how or right. when or why. I, they just said, breach this door. And I kicked a hollow door right through the middle and had my <laughs> legs stuck in there. And the bad guys run down the hall and I'm sticking my gun through the hole in my leg. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bad on every level. Yeah. So there wasn't a class on how to properly kick in a door. No. Now there is. Oh, but what back then. Yeah. I bet. Back what is the proper what is the proper method of kicking in a door? Foot, foot on the foot right next to the deadbolt, right? Exactly. At the lock. Any horse, be it a ram or be it a foot. And we used to literally kick doors because we didn't have rams. Mm-hmm. Nobody had invented rams yet. Right, right. So right. you kicked the door. Right. You kicked it 
two or three or four times, whatever. But you kick it in the lock, you know, pry it away from the door jam. Mm-hmm. But nobody told me that. So I kicked it right in the middle. My foot went right through. And I four doors just boop. Yeah. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. If that was in today's times, one of those dudes would have that on a GoPro. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd be on YouTube forever. <laughs> yes, there's uh yeah. So instead I just wrote a book and embarrassed myself yeah. rather than you. No, that was I laughed out loud when I was when I was uh listening to that part. Um Down the Barrel LLC wants to know what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? Like have you caught people with grenades, M60s or something like that? Um uh, Oh yeah. Oh, it's okay. in the book. Just buy the book. Hold the book up. Hold the okay, book here up. we go. Yeah, we'll show the book once again. Right, there you go. Buy that book. Tell that dude to buy the book. Yeah, so there you go. But uh, okay, since yeah. he asked, um, probably the craziest one mm-hmm. was uh, we had a suspect who was believed the Highway Patrol came to us. They'd had a couple of their Highway Patrol cars, um, grenades thrown under them. Oh. And. At remote places, they weren't in it, mm-hmm. but it was. It became a problem, so they called ATF. The agent <laughs> called me and said, "I like how you put that. It became a problem." I said, "Yeah, yeah somebody's <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody's going around. Yeah, they're well, tossing problems. grenades. Gotta, some of that you got to expect. Yeah, but really, <laughs> in this case, um, they were concerned. They came to ATF in Oakland because it was happening in the East Bay." Oakland ATF was able to identify a potential subject, um, possible suspect. Mm-hmm. He'd had some beef and, and voiced his beefs with the Iowa Patrol. Um, they lived down an old dirt road out in the country in a trailer. Mm-hmm. A long story short, I went out there and acted like I was working on this house that was under construction, which, by the grace of God, and I mean that truly, the house was being built by one of the Contra Costa district attorneys. Wow. Him and his wife were building a house up the road from this guy. He had to go right by the house to go to his trailer. Mm. So we reached out to him and said, hey, can we hang out there for a day or two? So I was out there acting like I was pounding nails and shit. He drove by a couple times, waved, blah, blah, blah. Next time he stopped, we smoked a cigarette. Mm-hmm. I got my way in. Long story short, he was making the hand grenades and delivering. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, hold on one second, one second. Okay, so I was assuming that you can just, like, you have to buy these things. Uh, I didn't realize you can actually, like, make your own grenades. Oh. Yeah, well, we're not going to go into that. I'm not <laughs> and I'm not going to, like, help criminals. No, 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 no. I'm not saying, I'm but not saying. Yeah. You buy a hollow grenade, and then the rest you can find on the Internet. Oh, Did wow. you so anyway... This guy had been making them, mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up buddying up to me, told me about it. I said, I could use a couple of those, <laughs> and he said, come back tomorrow, dude, and I oh, came back. Man. And this I will tell you, for all you bombers out there or wannabe freaking anarchists, don't try to make hand grenades. You will kill yourself and blow yourself up. Okay, now that I said that, he's literally in there. Gunpowder is a very, very, very volatile mm-hmm. element. Mm-hmm. Heat, shock, or friction. Mm-hmm. Any of those threes can send it up. 
Mm-hmm. I walk into this guy's house, and he's drilling into a hand grenade body, one of the ones you can buy at a souvenir store. Mm-hmm. And he's already filled it with gunpowder. So that hot drill is going through there. Mm. And I was like, um, yeah, I got to go smoke a cigarette. And I walked outside and I was like, go now, go now, go now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy was like way off the hinges. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How did that go? What was your question, Patrick? I'm going to let you get that question uh, in. Did you ever, did uh, back then, did they have any sort of special like bomb training? Like, because. So I, a friend of mine uh, is in the Marine Corps as a bomb disposal expert. So he went through all the – he came over one time and was like, oh, yeah, I could make any, I could blow up anything with all the crap under your sink. Did you ever have to go through any of that training to, like, learn what oh, went yeah. into making them? Yeah, the, the, the ATF special aid and training goes through um, weeks and weeks of uh, arson and explosive training. Huh. We, do, we do demo blasts. We learn all about the – different compounds that can be used to make improvised devices. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then we have, we have a second tier of agents who are trained as um, enforcement uh, explosive officers, okay. EOs, explosive enforcement officers, who have gone through other levels of training or were prior EOD or whatever. So we call that asset. I did that big case in the book where the dude, the bank robber, showed up with all the military ordnance. I mean, Claymore, C4, TNT, uh, debt cord, fuses, fuse igniters. I mean, it was my holy grail. It was the biggest oh. <laughs> case I ever made of ever and ever. And I was that close to being blown up because this guy didn't have a clue. Well, we had EEOs, or explosive enforcement officers and EOD like in the staging area. So when the bus went down, somebody was going to be there to be able to take control and deal with all this explosive mm-hmm. ordinance. Yeah. So there was a, bu- so I'm assuming right there, um, there was a bust with, where this guy, one guy had everything. He had all the, the things you're not supposed to have in one thing. Right. You talking about that one case? Yeah, I was yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He was a bank robber. Him and his brother did federal time for bank robbery, mm-hmm. and he had just gotten out. Well, his mother had married in Atlanta Police mm-hmm. Department. Mm-hmm. Clever EOD, EOD guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's his mom and her his stepdad or whoever, whatever you want to call him. And in his basement, because he'd been EOD for all those years, he'd collected all this shit illegally. Oh, oh. But he collected, he'd taken it from search warrants or or out at, you know, explosive bunkers or something. And he'd accumulate all this shit, which he was not allowed or supposed to have. Well, the kid gets out of prison, sees that shit, and sees a money, a payday, and that's mm-hmm. the informant. Um, I ended up in there trying to buy all that shit. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's crazy. Listen, for everyone who's hanging out with us right now, smash the thumbs ups. We need and appreciate those. All right, so help us out there. Uh, big shout out to Harry's Holsters, if I haven't already said it. Harry's Holsters does sponsor the podcast here. 
Um, they've, I think their Black Friday sales are still going on. Um, it's not okay. It's not going on. So you got to use the code Hank Strange, and that gets gets you ten percent off over at Harry's Holsters. So make sure you check that out. Uh, someone wants to know who was it that asked this question? Jeff Stevens wants to know if you're going to get in trouble for spilling the beans. Uh, no, they tried that once and it didn't work out too well. Um, okay. In 2007 or eight, I was granted whistleblower status because mm-hmm. of the fuckery that was going on in, uh, Ooh, I probably can't say that. No, that's fine. Good <laughs> year. On in, uh, San Francisco on a case I was working and, okay. uh, they tried me once. They won't try me again. Okay. No, I'm retired and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, free citizen and I'm just telling the fact they're they know where to find me sue yeah. me if I'm lying mm-hmm. so you've had it sounds like you've had some run-ins with the ATF yourself uh, or is it just this one instance that uh, became a thing oh no <laughs> so obviously you apparently not gotten to that part of the book or mm-hmm. didn't do your due diligence before you interviewed me mm-hmm. um the Google event chef Lou ATF. I did a three-part CNN mm-hmm. expose on retaliation and retribution within the ATF. Um, mm-hmm. I was on Fox News probably ten or twelve times during Fast and Furious. Okay, and I set up a website cleanupatf.org, mm-hmm. um, which ultimately forced them to negotiate with me and settle my case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't end any of the fuckery, but I, I got yeah. my vindication. Right. So I'm not trying to say that I know about it because I, I, I honestly didn't know about it, but you know, it, it'll be nice to tell the folks how, how we got into, uh, how you got into that particular situation. Kermit Loves Bacon was asking us, he happened to be asking, he says, what's your thoughts on Fast and the Furious? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how how did you get into this situation? If you could lay it out, obviously I would encourage everyone out there to go get the book uh, and support Vincent out there. Um, you know, as you heard him say, I'm going through the book right now. Not gonna lie to anyone, but it's very interesting. You know, he's actually when I listened to this book, I thought this guy's gonna be interesting, but actually uh, meeting him and talking to him here, which this is the first time, he's even more interesting. So tell us oh, how that- you got into trouble. Oh. Lordy. All right. So I was a senior agent. I was probably, I was the most senior agent in the San Francisco field division. We were asked to come in and oversee a case. Politics were running rampant on the case. And I told the bosses, I'll take this case on. They, they asked me to take the case. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll do it, but I have to be in control um, because we got some crazy stuff swirling out there. Um, it was worthy of investigation, so I said, I'll do it, but I got to make the calls. Well, the locals who we were working with, and it doesn't matter who, it's probably on the Internet. I know it's on the Internet, but the locals we were working with, we got frustrated. We had inserted undercovers, and we were prepared to go for the long term they wanted to go for a wiretap immediately sew this guy up they had a real vendetta vengeance against this ex-cop 
And I said, now nah, we got in undercovers inserted. We're going to work it traditionally the way we do it. And if they're bad, we'll get them. If they're not, we won't. And they started pursuing a wiretap behind my back. Mm. When I found out about that through the United States Attorney's Office, the U.S. Attorney came up and said, you guys are way out of line. You don't have anywhere near the probable cause for a, a wiretap. And you need to just back down and continue on the, the route you're going. So I thought we were good. Come to find out they were pursuing a wiretap behind my back anyway on the state level. Hmm. I raised hell with my bosses. They told me, play nice, just go go along. And I said, there's no basis for a wiretap. We've not exhausted all of our resources, which is one of the predicates to getting a wiretap. You don't get to just go in and say, I know this guy's dirty. I want a wiretap. Mm-hmm. You have to exhaust traditional investigations, undercovers, surveillance, um, you have to do all these things, and then finally the court will go, well, the only way to get the evidence is probably a wiretap, so we'll give it to you. Is this before we or after security. Homeland Security or the, the uh, you know, because I know some of that stuff's changed after 9-11. Well, no, that's for, like, national security. Na- We're talking yeah. about local gangsters. Okay. And that, that doesn't fall under the FISA rules. Okay. So it's traditional wiretap. Okay. And I said, no, we can't do it, not going to do it. And they said, play nice. And I said, can't play nice. It's going to be an illegal wiretap. Mm -hmm. And they told me, well, then you're off the case. I said, that's fine. And uh, and, uh, so if if you were to have gotten an illegal wiretap on this this person, could that jeopardize the case when it actually went to trial? Well, that's what happened. Mm. (laughs) I'm getting ahead. Okay. Okay. (laughs) what happened so I had been vocal about the illegal wiretap ATF just said they were going to transfer me to North Dakota (laughs) I was literally transferred six times in 16 months reprimanded three times suspended twice and every one of them were overturned every one of them the Merit Systems Promotion Board or the Office of Special Counsel reversed. They said he didn't do anything, mm-hmm. but they kept coming and coming. Imagine I got three teenagers in the house. They're trying to finish high school, and I'm telling them you might finish in North Dakota. Yeah, so that's like sending that, you to Siberia or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah. So it pissed me off, and I made the decision to stand my ground, and we enter into a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Office of Special Counsel complaints, EEOC complaints, and they ultimately settled with me. Um, But in the midst of that, Mm -hmm. because I stood up that website, Mm cleanupatf.org, it's kind of interesting. If you guys go to cleanupatf.org, you'll see some really trippy stuff in there. Okay, I'm showing the book because someone wants to see the book again. Um, And Lola has a link out there also if you're looking for the book. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the Bureau was mm-hmm. airing their complaints on cleanupatf.org. And it, really? It became, oh, it became such a month. DOJ wanted to shut us down, but there's a freedom of speech thing and all that. Okay. So in the process of that, here I'm just basically trying to fight for my life and keep my career alive. And a couple other people chimed in. They're doing the same thing to me and whatever. 
all of a sudden one day we get an email or a posting on there. Um, I'm a whistleblower, but I don't know what to do. Um, they've been telling me let a bunch of guns go to Mexico, and we'll find them mm. late. John Dodson, obviously. Mm. And uh, then it blew up. It was it was off the hook. So then I ended up becoming friends with the Terry family. Brian Terry was the Border Patrol agent killed with Fast and Furious guns. Right. And we just pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed. And John and my good friend, my my partner in California when I first started, Darren Gill, um, all testified before Congress and blew it out of the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as usual, nothing significant happened to any of the perpetrators. Yeah, I mean, that was in the forward of the book, you know. Um, this became, this eventually became a big thing. There were million, millions of dollars were spent investigating this. And ultimately, no one paid for it. Um, even the people who were buying these guns um, illegally and then taking them across the border didn't actually the pay boss, for this. The boss who was threatening the agents, if you like expose this or don't go along with the program, you can quit ATF. That dude is like a supervisor right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I'm not so okay, so here's a little bit of history for me. Um, one of my friends, Mike Daddy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mike Daddy. I, I love Mike. I know Mike well. Oh, okay. He's a good dude. Uh, also a Marine, and um, you know he went through this whole thing, right? When there yeah. were guys coming to him, he was an F. He is an FFL. That was during a wide receiver, I think. Right. Yeah, wide receiver. So, were you in the agency during wide receiver? I was, but I had no clue. Until okay. it hit cleanupatf.org, mm-hmm. and when the Fast and Furious stuff was blown up, and CBS, uh, Cheryl Atkinson, right. what a stud she is. Yeah, she, uh-huh. she lost her job because of that shit. Yeah, but um, she's still out there kicking asses, though. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah she is, and she still got her lawsuit against the federal government. Mm-hmm. So yeah. fingers crossed, because dude, they were like remotely accessing your computer and shit. Come on, that's some communist Nazi shit, right? Well, that's there. what they did to Mike, right? I mean, I think that they try to delete well, they did delete stuff off of Mike's computer, but they didn't realize he had backups. Um, you know, he went undercover, so to speak, working with the ATF only with to have the them t- Yeah, only to have them turn on him, you know. Um Say it ain't so yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what do you think? What was the name of the agent that he was working? Was it Dodds? Um, what was the name of the agent that he was? There was an ATF agent in, involved in this whole thing, but that guy wound up just being like pushed into a closet or something like that. I know who you're talking about, but it, I, I can't think of his name off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Yeah. What do you so have you seen that? Uh, is that the only time you've seen that kind of thing happen over at ATF? Obviously, it happened to you also. They were trying to like push you out to Siberia here, get rid of you. It was, it was a different time in ATF. I had not seen that level of vitriol from headquarters, like a us and them mentality. I had not seen that for most of my career, it loomed out there. There was always that thread of, you know, you better be on the team, but it wasn't near. They just went blatant in, you know, 2000 and just didn't care. And we, we, 
there was a bunch of managers who were up there that were just, they were the Miami Mafia. Mm-hmm. What do you, can you give us some insights on all that? I'm interested. I don't know if Patrick has a different question, but I, I would like to know your insight of this whole, if we're looking at this thing holistically of, you know, the whole idea that you can uh, track these guns as they go across the border into another country and then actually be able to do something about that. Okay, in theory, mm-hmm. with the right resources, and the right person running the show, Bill Newell was not the right person. George Gillette was not the right person. They were cutting corners and what have you. Mm-hmm. Had we like hooked up with the State Department or certain intelligence agencies, tracked those firearms and had assets on the Mexican side of the border, problem was my buddy, Darren Gill, was the attache in Mexico. Okay. He was the ad ATF guy in Mexico, and they weren't telling him shit. And when he started hearing this, you know, getting glimmers that guns were coming across mm-hmm. and they weren't being notified, mm-hmm. he fought it, and they told him, shut the fuck up or you'll be out of Mexico. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, he wasn't aware. Was Mexico aware, to your knowledge? No. Well, they started to become aware okay. but they couldn't get any information mm-hmm. Darren would call the sack of Arizona Bill Newell who was overseeing this whole straw purchase video track whatever um, and Bill Newell would tell him none of your business is an Arizona operation mm-hmm. stay out of it yes. well Bill Newell was letting all these guns go across the freaking border and the agents were screaming, like, why aren't we taking these guys down? Yeah. So SAC is, uh, what is that, uh, uh, something agent in charge? Or what does what SAC say? Special agent in Special charge. agent, okay. Bill Newell was a, a head poobah over Fast and Furious. Okay. He was in Arizona. John Dodson worked for him. Uh, George, George Gillette was the assistant special agent in charge. And that when these agents were screaming, like, why don't we taking these guys down? Let's take them now. They'd say, no, let them go. So John Dodson tried, you know, God bless John. I love John. John's a good dude. But he went to Radio Shack and tried to buy some transmitters and, <laughs> like, create his own shit, which when you're in a billion nine agency, you shouldn't have to do that. No. We should the state-of-the-art tracking equipment. Right. But they weren't interested in that. Mm-hmm. So John tried to track them. The batteries died. They didn't work and everything. And these guns are showing up. And John went to him and said, dude, um, we're going to end up one morning, we're going to wake up and somebody's going to say an ATF agent or a federal agent was killed with one of those guns we let walk. And sure enough, Brian Terry was killed with one. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you so I, I've always kind of been of the opinion that letting guns walk across the border was some sort of uh, there was more to it than just trying obviously to track criminals. Do you feel the same way? Was there something that they were trying to get out of it from the I Second Amendment side? Well, all I know, and I don't draw any inferences. I'm just a brick agent. All I know is after all that happened and Brian Terry got killed and all those guns were 
killing like hundreds of Mexicans down across the border. They were able to get a temporary um, multiple purchase ban on rifles in Texas, across Texas. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. Many people have speculated that this whole operation was to go, oh my God, there's hundreds of guns in Mexico. We got to stop gun sales in Texas and Arizona and wherever. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you that's not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we felt that way too. We're talking thousands, right? Thousands of guns. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, 2,000. Yeah. Um, And hundreds have shown up on innocent Mexican bodies like schoolhouses and and neighborhoods that the cartels want to terrorize mm-hmm. and they came directly from us and we could have stopped them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sad to me if you look at Vice and all the other documentaries out there of like the um you know basically like a holocaust that, that's going on in Mexico I think in some cases still going on to this day. To, to imagine that we allowed these guns to go over there, right, and and, um, and and take out all these people, and then no one, no one out there actually paid the price for this. Not the criminals taking it across, not the people who allowed it, not the politicians. Well, the criminals, the, criminals um, the federal government's done a pretty good job. I think they got all the shooters in the Brian Terry case, mm-hmm. and they've indicted multiple cartel people that had those guns and mm-hmm. were involved in homicides, but nowhere near 2,000. Mm-hmm. And no one in our government suffered for letting it happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, our sole purpose in life, we have one mission. We have one job in ATF. Now mm-hmm. just stop guns from going to bad people, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Not good people, not citizens, not... You know, families mm-hmm. have one job, mm-hmm. and we screwed it up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sad. I think I think it's a tragedy. This this I mean, as a gun guy, that's that's not the purpose uh, of the guns, as far as I'm concerned. That's not the well. Look, I I think that uh, people decide to do bad things, right? The guns are tools, all of that kind of stuff. But why do we have these laws? Why is there agency, um, you know, defending these laws and going out there and doing it? And I know from just from from what I've heard in the book, what I've heard from you, that your whole purpose here, right, was to stop the bad guys from getting these things. Like, how do the people at the top of the ATF during that time, how do they live with themselves? And how are those guys still out there, like getting promotions, making money? And, and all this kind of stuff, you know, how, how's this happening? Dude, that's a million dollar question. And um, it's sad. It's sad that that went on, was allowed to go on when we had one job, and that was to keep the guns out of the bad guys' hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Nobody, nobody in Fast and Furious was significantly disciplined at all from. Uh, Bill Newell on down. Yeah. Up to deputy director. And some of the guys, like, you know, if you think about the guys, so, you know, your guys on your side, other uh, agents, 
some of those guys were punished or, you know, I don't know. I think I think there's still some people who are out there working. They're at the ATF technically, right, uh, because they can't get rid of them, but they're getting treated like crap. Then there's people like Mike Deddy who just got, you know, like a ton of bricks dropped on him, you know, and that whole thing. It's I don't know, man. And then no one no one's going to pay the price for that. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the U.S. government, buddy. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know what? They paid me a bunch of money to settle my case. And not one person who is perjured under sworn testimony. It's on documented. Mm-hmm. Not one of the bosses involved were disciplined. They just paid me off, and they went on rocking like they always would. Yeah. Uh, Kermit Loves Bacon has a question here. Um, he says, what happened to the dealers, a.k.a. gun stores, those guns got picked up in? Um, Generally nothing. Um, specifically, there were some FFLs who were working with ATF. Mm-hmm. Um, when they got uncomfortable with like letting all these guns go to what were obviously Mexican nationals or they're heading for Mexico, mm-hmm. they were told to stand down, shut the hell up, or your FFL could be in jeopardy mm-hmm. and, and what have you. But generally speaking, nothing. They... Um, they were on the right side of the law. They did what they were supposed to do. And for ATF to try to do something or retaliate against them mm-hmm. would have been a massive, you know, lawsuit. And yeah. Published. I mean, in a lot of cases, you have to realize that a lot of these FFLs were reporting this to the ATF. And the ATF was telling them to let these things go, to not do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um, and I don't think I don't I think if they were doing that, they shouldn't be held responsible. Just like, you know, my daddy put himself out there and, and went. No, when that, when ATF walks in, we flash the badge and we say, look, this is what we got going. Mm-hmm. Just let it go. We will track it. We got it mm-hmm. and everything. You're not going to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Everything's lovely. You know, the FFL is like, hey. This is my livelihood. ATF says it's okay. ATF says it's okay. Yeah. Um, I, I probably should try to make some plans to get you and Mike uh, on a show one of these days um, at the same time. Uh, Jade Grew said he just bought two copies of Rat Snakes. So there nice. You go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> a Jade Grew. Jay, you're the man. Yes. There you go. Um, uh, thanks for that, Jade. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Um, trying to see what other Patrick, did you have any, uh, you did, yeah, you got a super chat from Armament Maxis asking about, uh, okay. your opinions on Waco and Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Ah, I knew but, that was coming. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so let's do that. <laughs> right. Well, you're probably not going to like my opinions or your, your listeners. Let's hear it let's though. Let's go to Ruby Ridge first. Mm-hmm. They killed the U.S. Marshal. End of story. I don't care about his, you know, uh, white supremacist views or his anti-government views. You don't get to kill U.S. Marshal ever. Now, did the ulti- the the original case turn out to be 
a case of entrapment or government misconduct? Apparently it was in the court of law. That's all he had to do was come down the hill and have his case found out to be what it was. And I'm just going by what I've read and what I understand. They settled with him and what have you. Right. This is a this is a multi-tiered story. This is a multi-tiered story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you or what's your name? Me? No. Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. At no point you or Patrick and I serve an arrest warrant on you. Mm -hmm. You bail out and you say, All right, here's my ten grand or or OR. I'll be in court in 30 days. At no point do you not get to show up. Mm-hmm. And at no point do you definitely not get to kill a U.S. Marshal. So that's all I'm going to say on Ruby Ridge. Um, Waco, that was a train wreck from beginning to end. I know all the players. I know how it happened. It was an embarrassment. It should have never happened that being said, they had a lawful search warrant, albeit the tactics were questionable and the Treasury report is out there. They fillet us. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, there was a lawful search warrant. You don't get to kill federal agents serving a lawful search warrant ever, ever. Mm-hmm. You take your day in court, you get your lawyer and blah, blah, blah. You don't get to shoot it out with the feds ever. Okay. Now That's let me cool. let me um, let me just do this follow up because Armament and Axe is the person who asked that question initially. He says, "Did they know he was a U.S. marshal?" I'm sure all of this has been investigated ad nauseum and is Did a public they record. Know or should they have known? I'm reasonably certain. Based on the evidence and the testimony, mm-hmm. they will say they didn't know, but they knew it was law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And why did they know? Because he failed to appear. Had he appeared, none of that would have happened. Okay. So you're saying, well, he knew he was in trouble. Um, and then, so and I guess. And who else would be out in your woods mm-hmm. scoping out your house? In camouflage and ninja gear, mm-hmm. when you fail to appear for a federal firearms violation. Okay. I mean, come on. Right. Look at the common sense has to be applied. Right. So, okay. So, to so with Waco, you said that was uh, what were your exact words here? <laughs> that um, a I, train wreck. A train wreck. <laughs> a yeah. Buck story. <laughs> okay. What? Go ahead, Patrick. Uh, real quick, just to get my uh, timeline straight in my head, what year did you retire? When did you retire out? I retired in 2014. Oh, so you were you were there for a lot of this? Mm-hmm. Like you were in Waco. Yeah. So were you were you act? I, I, and and I uh, I'm pretty sure I hit this already in the book. You weren't actually at Waco when everything went down, right? You were. I was. You not, were standby. I was not at Waco at the shootout. Okay, you weren't at the shootout. Oh. Okay. I'll give you I'll give you the the buildup. Okay. Um each field division we had twenty we have twenty six now, I don't know, we may have had twenty four field divisions. Mm-hmm. Each field division had a SWAT team, an SRT. Mm-hmm. As part of that system, 
we were aware something was happening, but it was real hush-hush. We weren't getting details, but we were put on standby. The morning I saw it on TV, just like everybody else, and then my beeper went off. We went, got on a C-130, went to Waco. Mm -hmm. So I was there probably on the... March 3rd or 5th, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, by then, it was a total fuck story. FBI had assumed control, and we took up the perimeter and blah, blah, blah. And then the fire ultimately happened. Mm-hmm. So what was your question in there? I got sidetracked. <laughs> I think that answered it. I think it was just yeah. what, what, what part did you take in it? Yeah. Um, but yeah. For for me, it's it's good to know when you retired out. So you you've seen a lot, a lot of changes. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots. Yeah. yeah. I saw, I saw, the first forty years, forty five years of this bureau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when you so if it started in seventy two and you were going in, you went in early in the eighties, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it was maybe going what eight or ten years or something like that before you. Right. Before you went in, so you're probably like second gen. The the, the first gen was, of dudes. I was second generation. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah, but those first gen of dudes, those are like cavemen. You're like, you know, starting to live in mud huts or something now. But you but you've seen a lot, like a massive leap of what was going on over at the ATF over those uh, several generations there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and you know what in mm-hmm. in. Retrospect, Waco was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. There was like 482 ways to handle that, and we picked 483. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we fucked it up on a lot of levels, but that doesn't mean we were wrong. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is those people were buying up hand grenades, automatic weapons, auto sears for their guns they were amassing for the apocalypse mm-hmm. and they got it yeah um and, and as you've said here there just might have been a better way to go about this knowing that they were like no women doubt. and kids um involved in this armament and axes i'm going to keep following up with him here he says uh, i lived my life over many years watching this on the news never know what to believe uh from mainstream media of, of course you know um but you, you were there. Now, obviously, you're on your side. And, you know, and I think people have to give you, like, they have to understand that you guys, and I know some people hate this, but <laughs> you guys are brothers in arms. You're doing a job together, right? You've got to rely on each other. Right or wrong? But I don't think, I do not think mm-hmm. that there was an overwhelming majority of ATF people that thought Waco was a good plan Mm -hmm. and when we lied about it and tried to cover up Mm -hmm. um, it just made it worse Mm -hmm. yeah I wouldn't wouldn't have done the operation true story Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there the morning where I got the page when the operation was happening and the shootout happened Mm mm-hmm and before I got that page and before I hit the TV, I was at my in-laws house with my kids with grandma and grandpa's and having fun. Mm-hmm. And he gets a newspaper every day and I opened up the newspaper and I saw the um, the article about David Koresh, mm-hmm. the access of evil or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. 
and I knew what it was about because we've been briefed minimally. Mm-hmm. And I knew something was going down in Texas. And I saw that story and I looked at that compound and I said, please tell me they're not even thinking about hitting that. There's that's nothing good can happen out of that. And I'll be damned if 15, 20, 30 minutes later, my beeper went off. The TV was splashing the shootout on there. And mm-hmm. I went, they went for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know the players. I know mm-hmm. the architects of Waco. Mm-hmm. And they were not going to abort that mission for anything. They, they, they had stars in their eyes of the biggest law enforcement raid ever. Instead of going, yeah, maybe compromise, let's stand down and check this out further and whatever. So mm-hmm. so they were, the people in charge were a bit of, uh, would you say, glory hounds looking? Yes. They put stars on the badges? For mm-hmm. lack of a better word, um, I don't need to say their names. They're in the Waco report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they... This they were all twenty year guys. They were soon to retire in a couple of years, and this was their big hit, the biggest law enforcement raid in history. And they just couldn't say no. Yeah, when you look at even though uh, those people needed to be mm-hmm. like taken down. Yeah, it seems like there was a job to be done there, but the job wasn't necessarily, or that part of the mission wasn't executed properly. I think everyone looking at that was probably like, "Oh yeah, w- 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 like what the hell's happening here? Well, How can this go so badly wrong?" Anti-government or three uh, percenter went, "Aha! See, mm-hmm. the federal government is out there to get you," mm-hmm. which is not our job. But it sure was a bad visual. So, so I guess this is a good segue for a personal question, if yeah. you don't mind me asking. Um, so, I my YouTube channel and my my pastime, I build guns. Like that's my hobby. Is I enjoy building stuff. Cool. What sort of list can I expect to be on? <laughs> oh boy. Well, I'm assuming you have a manufacturer's license. So no, so I build I build all of mine just for personal use. So it's all okay. it's all just basic personal use. You're not but, on any list. You shouldn't be on any list. Uh, if you start selling them, you yeah. people start contracting you to build a three three eight the Pua or some. Just get a license. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, if you're just right, making yeah. shit for your own yeah. enjoyment, mm-hmm. rock on, brother. Yeah. This is America. <laughs> I hate to sound exactly. like a lawyer, but we follow all applicable laws. Yes, okay. we are law-abiding <laughs> citizens. I'm an FFL. I have an FFL SOT. Okay, what's your FFL number? Um, <laughs> Talk loud. No, 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 no. What's your FFL no. number? I'm no, sorry. That's all right. Uh, Winnebago. Hello. Winnebago. 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 Move. Hit them now. Hit them now. Did you have oh, – were there code words that you guys had for like yeah. sending guys in? Was Winnebago like a code word or something? Is that a thing? Dude, that's a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the undercover tapes. When we, when you go through the ATF Academy, you got blocks of instruction. Firearms laws, mm-hmm. alcohol laws, explosives. Mm-hmm. Then you do the undercover program. One of the videos was literally Winnebago, Winnebago. So we always joke about it. <laughs> that, that was in our training. 
I always used Joey Buttafuoco. <laughs> really? That was your coach? You're not Joey. the only person who used Joey Buttafuoco. Joey well, B. the reason I did is I knew no matter how drunk I was or, or oh how scared I was mm-hmm. or how crazy the situation was, I would never say Joey Buttafuoco unless I meant to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buttafuoco, man. A guy who will live in infamy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Uh, My wife just got home from work. She's a nurse at a local hospital. And she picked up McAllister's for dinner. Oh, look at that. that. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing, you know, he's doing overtime duty here. So um, (laughs) there's a couple of things. uh, Does he get paid for this? Hell no. (laughs) No. Listen, we give him free T-shirts every now and then. You get paid for it, right? <laughs> uh, who, me? Minimally. Yeah, yeah you know, listen, I think so the, the financial side of this, we do enough to keep it going. Like I'm nice. actually in a studio here, which we got to rent the studio, and there's a whole bunch of expenses and all that kind of stuff involved in it. But there's folks out there who help support us. We have uh, people that uh, sponsor, like Harry's Holsters that I was talking about and other folks. Nice to help us out and we're able to pay for it, you know, and keep it going. So as long as I could do that, I'm in it because the, this whole thing interests me, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that we all form our opinions based on our sides. And one of the things that I find like really, and I genuinely mean this deeply interesting about this is we all form our own opinions, but the beautiful thing about being human beings is we get to talk to people like yourself and we get to realize that that a lot of times our opinions are very flat. They're not three-dimensional. And there's maybe other sides to the story. Whether we choose to agree with it or not, right? I'm sure there's people out there that, you know, uh, will, if they hate the ATF, they'll still hate it or whatever it is. I think that um, it's interesting to talk to someone on the other side of a lot of these situations and all the different things that you've seen and we've all watched play out. Um, on TV and in the news, it's interesting to me to do it. So that's uh, what keeps you, me going. A quick funny story mm-hmm. because ATF doesn't even know about this. Uh oh. Yeah. So in 1994, um, you remember the guy who does who's the uh, conspiracy, the alien guy? Oh, um, uh, Alex Jones. Alex Jones? <laughs> Not before him. Oh, before Alex um, Jones. The radio dude. Oh, not Rush Limbaugh. No, I know who you're talking about. He did the... I know exactly who you're talking about, and I don't know his name. Anyway, he was doing a a radio cast at midnight to three in the morning or something, Mm -hmm. and he had this chick who did this documentary on Waco Mm -hmm. and, like, showed all these conspiracy theories. See that shadow? That was the ATF agents going in, burning the compound down see this, see that, and I was like, and so my mom's best friend, they're like 60 at the time, calls me and goes, you ought to listen to this guy. Oh, Art Bell, Coast to Coast. I, yep, mm-hmm. I believe I knew that one. Okay, so Art I Bell. listened to it one night, and this chick, a lawyer, Linda somebody, was on there, and just Todd S. came up with that too. Uh, spreading all kind of shit about Waco, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this ain't true. They said, you got to call in. So I called in. Mm. And uh, he was like, how do I know you're an ATF? And so we went through that whole song and dance. Mm-hmm. So he scheduled me and her to debate 
And we were on for the, like the next six nights. And I was special agent X. I was, I, I was on the job. I didn't want to. You like, could have been Fox Mulder. <laughs> I could have been fired or whatever. Right. Oh, you were still. So, so you were still on like, the job. Spending, sending all this bad mm-hmm. information out about Waco. So I called in and we did it for like three nights and I got all the, the cassette tapes upstairs. That's oh, boy. Cool. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Listen, man, uh, look, I, I really do recommend the book. I thought, like, when I started listening to the audio, I know you're not, like, super happy with the guy doing the audio. I think he's doing I think he's doing a good job. He doesn't have a gravelly voice like yours. I don't know how you even uh, – I'm assuming you weren't born with that voice, so. No, that was like 40 years of whiskey in Chesterfield. <laughs> Chesterfield, Okay. <laughs> All right. I think people in the chat were were trying to figure out exactly what you're smoking. Uh, I don't know if that's Chesterfields you're smoking right now. I have no idea. Um, But, you know, I thought, listen, I think this is really interesting. I could see uh, people making a movie or something like that out of it at some point if they're interested in doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I, I find the whole thing interesting and it's a it's a tough deal. Right. What happened in Waco is just really a tough deal. It's a it's a place where we in, in American history, lots of people messed up big time and didn't. You know, I think they didn't slow slow down what was happening there and try to figure out how to do that in a completely different way. No. Nope. Yeah. So yeah, can we, and, and, the, and go of, ahead. Go ahead, Patrick. No, I was just going to no. I was going to try to change this, the subject. Can we bring it back to modern ACF? Mm-hmm. What? what do we need to do to get them straightened back out? Because I feel like from your experiences, you may know more about the insides and outs of how they run. and yeah, Or I should it be abolished? Because the- there's people out well, there that would say know, abolish the ATF. Me, I say that all the time, by the way. Full disclosure. has been on the bottom rung of what is important in the federal government. Mm-hmm. So you have certain political interests pushing against ATF. Mm. You have certain political interests pushing up the ATF. Why haven't we had a director, a a Senate-confirmed director, Mm. in over six, seven years? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have a Senate-confirmed director, which, since we moved over to justice, back in the day, the uh, Secretary of the Treasury would just appoint a director. Mm-hmm. But now, under justice, our director has to be a Senate confirmation. The hearings and come out of it. We, they just had one for that uh, FOP guy, and he just... Yeah, crashed so and burned. They I think, couldn't. I, I think it's couldn't. a political football, right? It's a political football. There's people who want to use the ATF to shut down um, gun folks like myself. You know, they want to uh, dismantle or at least severely neuter the Second Amendment uh, on one side. Um, And then I think on the other side of that, there's people who try to act like they believe in the Constitution or try to make it look like they believe in the Second Amendment, but they really don't. Which is 90 (laughs) percent of ATF, I got to tell you. Mm -hmm. The problem is the bosses are all jockeying. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had a Senate confirmed director for, well, shit, since I retired. So they're acting directors. 
which means you have no clout, no juice. You can't come to a, a Senate or a congressional hearing and be shoulder to shoulder with the FBI director. Why? Because you're an acting director. Mm-hmm. So why hasn't there been an appointed director in the last six, seven years? That's a good question, man. And I think, well, how come, let's say, in Trump's tenure, and I don't know where you're at politically, it doesn't doesn't matter. If well, you, he, you know. he, he afforded a nomination. It was a really, really bad nomination. Why? Okay, I'm glad Why? you said that. That's the point, though. Why did he put that guy up? How could that have been serious? I mean, Republicans killed that one. Good point. Good point. Um, <laughs> it's almost I like a setup. Know. It feels like it's – I feel like – ATF is a good scapegoat, and lots of people. So here's the thing I think about: we're the government. We are the government's bitches right now. I think so. <laughs> and I, we have an acting director, yeah. a deputy director who's a total tool, mm-hmm. total tool. Yeah, and we, we still got Obama appointees in there. How? So the 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 crazy thing to me is we're like you know. We're here at this point, right, the end of 2020, and we've had Obama appointees in there for the last four years. How can even on the Republican side, how, how even on Trump's side, can these guys be serious about something? You know, they haven't really made any serious attempt. And then now we're looking at, like, possibly Biden coming in there. I think, uh, you know, a jacked up election. But Ooh. Biden's coming Ooh. in and already making plans to use the ATF to go after things. It's just this weird football where on the left or the right, it seems like they don't believe in the Constitution or specifically the Second Amendment. And they want to use the ATF as the scapegoat well, to do things they don't want to do. The upper echelon of ATF might be hyper political because they want to keep their positions and want to keep things going. So if Biden or whoever Mm -hmm. says to A, B or C, they may do it, but they only have that much authority. Mm -hmm. Understand our agency was enacted by an act of Congress. Mm -hmm. We have specific jurisdictions and Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Bill Clinton or whoever can say, oh, you will do this. No, you won't do this unless the Congress modifies the law. So it's not as dire as people would think. But it's scary because you have a acting director who will go where the political winds blow to keep her acting director position and maybe be nominated for a director's position in the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me just do this. Let me do a couple of housekeeping things here. Um, we've got a lot of people watching us. If uh, everyone smashed the thumbs ups, we can get to 100 thumbs ups, which would be a great thing. It would help Vincent out with the book. That's the point of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to uh, help him get this message out there. I know several people have said they've gotten the book. Um, it's available on Audible. If you're, if you're an Audible member, you can actually listen to it as part of your membership plan. That's how I'm listening to it. Uh, Pixamite said, um, I just bought a copy of the book. Hank, you and Lola need to get Vincent and Mike on the show together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I'm 100% uh, for that. Uh, yeah. You know what? I love Mike. Mike's a good man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he is. Good dude. And by the way, thumbs up, 
to Hank Strange. Why? Because he's pumping my butt. Because I, <laughs> I love him. Yeah. Listen, I, I guarantee you right now, we're not at the end of the show. People would like to see you come back on here. And I'll be happy to, to help you sell the book or whatever. But I appreciate your candor, man. I think that, you know, you can easily just be all ATF rah, 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 you know, or the ATF sucks. They did me wrong or whatever. But I think you're very balanced. And um, I appreciate that and give a lot of credit to what you're saying here. Um, Lola is throwing up the uh, she's there's links in the chat, but also in uh, the body of this video specifically to the book for anyone uh, who wants to know. There's a, a whole bunch of things coming coming through here. Uh, someone mentioned uh, bump stocks. Should we talk about that in the in the 16 minutes, Patrick? Bump stocks. Uh, yeah. So so I guess I, I guess the better question is, with the ATF being a the ATF is an enforcement agency. I, that's the way I see it. They are an enforcement agency. Well, we have we have. Half of our agency, literally half of it, is regulatory. Like they go inspect the FFLs and they check out the wineries yeah. and the distilleries. So, so regulatory have- and enforcement. Yeah. You never. It's it's kind of funny you say winery and distillery because <laughs> I never think of a yeah. sommelier ATF agent. But there's probably that dude out there. Yeah. Do they get a fine glass of wine? <laughs> yeah. You know. No, dude. Seriously. Seriously. One point when I was in San Francisco, one of the regulatory people were on a big case and they wanted me involved. And I said, look, I know shit about this, but apparently it was something to do with somebody making uh, Cabernet wine, not out of Cabernet grapes. I don't know. Were you like, guy? I don't but know anything about this. <laughs> it was a big deal, and they had to pay a bunch of back taxes, and hmm. they were basically cheating the people. If you buy whiskey, you want whiskey. Yeah, you exactly. don't want watered-down bullshit or whatever, and ATF's so, out there doing that yeah. job, too. Or if you so get fake from- grenades from somewhere, you know what to <laughs> call it, the ATF. If you so, so you're with them. <laughs> from, from that standpoint, though, it's like mm-hmm. – ATF doesn't make law, they enforce law, but with the regulatory things that have been coming down, uh, saying bump stocks are uh, machine guns, uh, potentially uh, uh, shoulder braces being short-barreled rifles, what- Pistol pistol braces. Pistol braces, excuse me, pistol braces being Mm short-barreled rifles. What sort of remedies are there? What do you, what do we do? I got a Uh-oh. stumper on you. I got a stumper. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Vincent's actually yeah, thinking. Good one there. In reality, mm-hmm. you got to rely on the NRA or the Sportsman Shooters Association or wh- whoever or yourself to litigate it so, because, like the bump stock, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so everybody kind of went, even the NRA went. Oh, this is a bad rule, but we understand. Um, when they start pressing for public commentary in the Federal Register, that's when you need to sound up. Mm-hmm. Would just, you do you are you familiar with the bump stocks? Did you come across bump stocks at all in, in your work or just in living your life? No. No, okay. No. Um they were not around. Mm-hmm. Um 
back in the day. And quite frankly, um, I, I, you know, you it's were, kind I, of a weird dichotomy. It's like right on the line. I mean, I'm, I'm a gun guy. I love right. guns. I got all my guns. But I'm sure you you've shot guns. machine guns. Would you consider, like, bump stocks to be – because so right now the way they're looking at it, a bump stock, according to the to this nonsense that, that was put out there by, by – between Trump, the NRA, and, and the ATF, a bump stock off separated from the firearm is a machine gun on its own. What do you think about that? No, I, I don't know that I'd go that far. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is the bump stops are an accoutrement. Mm -hmm. It's an additional piece of equipment. Does it meet the definition of a machine gun? In my personal opinion, and I don't I don't make policy for ATF. No, it does not. But it was such a devastating impact in Vegas that it was a quid pro quo. It's like, we'll give you that because, you know, you can do the the belt loop. You could bump uh, fire. I don't know. Have you ever bump fired? Bump fire a machine. I make a gun fire like an automatic. Mm -hmm. But when you're producing an item that has that sole purpose, that's a little scary. That's a little... you know, I don't know. I'm yeah. not. I mean, obviously. So, yeah, let's just give everyone that that, um, you know, that you're not part of tech branch. You didn't work in tech branch. You right. were undercover. That's mostly what we're. So we're like venturing outside mm-hmm. of your thing here now. And then you obviously said that you haven't used bump stocks. Now, from my, my experience of doing this, which is like I've been in I've been in this gun world for about eight years, been to a lot of shot uh-huh. shows. That's the place where I've interacted with the bump stocks. The companies that make them are always like, hey, shoot out, shoot this thing never worked. So the whole idea that that was working <laughs> so well in Vegas to me is is really kind of ridiculous. Oh, I think they work. Uh, I think well-produced ones work, but I don't know that. Look, criminals don't follow the laws. See, that's so what I- Outlaw yeah. all the bump stocks you want, mm-hmm. and Billy Bob or Tyrone or whoever <laughs> right. is going to go get a bump stock that's aftermarket, been out there already on the streets, and go shoot up South Chicago or. Well, I mean, so in your work, didn't you come across guys illegally making machine guns? Sorry, Patrick. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you- oh, what yeah. I was going to say is. If it's between me having a illegal bump stock to go shoot something up or just drilling a third hole in my M16, I know which one I'm choosing. I'm not going to use a bump stock. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? When you start modifying firearms to fire full automatic, you're crossing the line. Yeah, but what he I was what not I'm he was not confessing to any crimes. He was no, just saying no, it's no, 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 if you no, if you no, want to yeah. If you want to, no, the, the, well, he's just saying. If I have to choose one or the other, I'm not picking up a bump stock. It, it's, you know, it, there's no point. It's more know? simple if and gonna, effective to make a machine gun than to use have, a bump stock. But yeah. people have. They've sold a lot of bump stocks because, in theory, they do work and they're fun to shoot and whatever. That's all well and good for my Tennessee brethren. My redneck brethren who like to go out and shoot a bunch 
ammo up. But if you put those out in the world where the gangsters can use those, um, I just don't know that there was a market for that. I just don't know why you would need that to usurp the NFA. Well, I think it was a sacrificial lamb um, because the in, like the, the guys making the bump stocks, it obviously wasn't enough guys to stand up and fight back against it. And to me, honestly, I've used them and they've never, ever, I've never, ever found them to be effective. So I've got videos of them, but I never posted it because I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't really work. I've never, those guys, have, it goes completely against the manual it's of operation a of a rifle. Minor, it's yeah. such a minor argument, though. When we're talking about the Second Amendment mm -hmm. and your right to keep and bear arms to protect your family, to hunt, to sport shoot, to do whatever, mm -hmm. really the bumps die, you know, throw yeah. in the trash. Yeah. It's fine. Um, Kermit Loves Bacon says you should actually try one to see uh, if you um, – he said, "Here, I'm going to read what he says. He should actually try one. They don't actually work the way he uh, he thinks. Here's the problem with that: they're machine guns, so we can't even show him can't, a plastic. I can't try it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that's out the window. So, getting getting back. But to the at the end of the day, guys, mm -hmm. seriously, at the end of the day, we got AR-15s, we got 308 Lapuas, we got freaking 50 calibers. We got you can register a mortar." Um, literally, you can buy machine guns and transfer them. Um, at the end of the day, is that really the fight we want to fight? I mean, I'm just saying. If we if we put it only as that, if someone said to me, "Okay, if you give up, if you walk away from the bump stocks, then we will stop going after anything else," I might consider it. I'm not saying I would do it, but the well, problem basically did. They basically did. They're still going after, after stuff, though. Um, now, now, listen to me. Mm -hmm. They went after the bump stock and went all crazy and mm -hmm. outlawed them and, and did a, a ATF policy and whatever. Mm -hmm. And not one of your other guns was touched. Not your 50 caliber Barrett, not your AR-15, not your AK-47, not your... Uh, extended magazines so really like over this plastic piece of shit that mm -hmm. might work and give you the feel of an automatic weapon go to a range and shoot an automatic weapon or buy one this ain't rocket science we don't have to fight every freaking fight okay so let's move on to braces because that's the next where the next uh <laughs> <laughs> That's where the next fight is, right? So, so according to your premise, if they if they stop there, but you're saying they stop there, but they actually haven't stopped there, right? That's the next the next uh, battle is gonna be the you don't next know battle. What the next battle. Oh, uh, there's nobody's, been leaks. Nobody is thrown down on uh, AR-15 pistols and the the brace. Nobody. So said so we so there. That's. Um, I could say this. We've seen leaks coming out of the ATF over the last several weeks. So our friend John Crump, who was in here earlier, and maybe I'll link you up with him because I think he also does a podcast and everything. It would be great for you to go on his show. Um, he's gotten leaks from the ATF that they have spoken to Biden. Biden asked them for their wish list, 
and top of the wish list was the 80% lowers and the braces, but also from FOIA requests, there's evidence that there are cases being pressed against people for possessing uh, pistol braces. Wow, that was a lot. So where's the question? So the thing is, <laughs> what happens? So what happens if that becomes the next uh, the next fight? Which we're I, I I'm thinking we're very close to that, right? So technically, you could say that's not a thing okay, yet. But. Assuming assuming you're right, and the pistol braces are the next on the list. Mm -hmm. I said a million seven. You said four million. That's about what's out there. Yeah, we were talking about this before All we right, started. Four yeah. million out mm -hmm. there. I'll take your numbers. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? You got four million of those out there. What are you going to do? Oh, retroactively make everybody a felon? That has never worked. The Supreme Court will shoot that down today. So they might ban the future sales of that. Well, that's what Democrats do. Mm -hmm. I mean, live with it. Elections have consequences. Yeah. Um, so someone, Dan hates you, saying that Q Firearms uh, got told to stop making uh, four different guns in their lineup. Uh, from what we know, there's about four other companies that got those letters. So I think we're we're on the edge of that. Go I, ahead, Patrick. I, no, so I think I think going all the way back to my initial question, the answer is litigation. What do you do when they start getting tyrannical? It's litigation. You, I think you were saying that if if it were come if if they were to come after something else, take it to court. That's that yeah. is your that's your suggestion, right? If they were to come with some ridiculous ban on everything we've been talking about, retroactive but you got to turn them in, blah, blah, blah. It'll be tight. Biden won't live that long. <laughs> That's the scary <laughs> thing. Um, no, I'm, it, it, it will be tied up mm. forever. The Supreme Court's never going to say, oh, so ATF authorized all these sales and it's in the Federal Register and it's under the Constitution and they approved it, but now we're going to make everybody pay. That ain't gonna happen. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Uh, I could say, well, let me not. Well, whatever. I'm not complying with that either way. Let me ask you this: uh, We've got maybe two minutes here. By the way, shout out to Aries Training Facility out there. And also, I would like to say, come on, 17 people smash the thumbs up so we can get to 100. While we got Vincent here, don't embarrass me, guys. Come on, 17. Yeah, yeah don't embarrass me. And then go out and get the book. The Aries, go out and get the book. Rat snakes. So there you go. Um, here's my question I would ask you on this, Vincent. Since this is your area of expertise, you are seasoned. I am doing air quotes on seasoned because you're, you're a well-seasoned agent. You've trained other um, ATF agents out there, right? Correct. Okay. What, how, what would be your feeling of going after the civilian population on something like uh, pistol braces? That'd be a nightmare. Uh, oh, God, that'd be a nightmare. <laughs> picture, he just stole my word. Picture the worst nightmare of your life. Mm -hmm. Okay. It ain't going to happen. Like mine. I bought one years ago. I had a boating accident. All my <laughs> shit went to the bottom of the lake. V Vincent, you can't be an ATF agent telling us about a boating accident. <laughs> 
<laughs> get a search warrant and <laughs> prove like, me wrong. I can't believe it. <laughs> Vincent, you just made like everything. People's computers, phones are exploding out there. They, they're like, I can't believe a freaking 30 plus years ATF agent is telling me he lost his in a boating Dude, accident. ATF agents as a whole. And I, I knew, I literally knew almost every agent in the Bureau because mm-hmm. I was active and I traveled. Mm-hmm. I literally knew people from every field division and everybody felt the same. Mm-hmm. Nobody's after the legal gun owners. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Nobody I know is after the legal gun owners. Yeah. Um, listen, we hit nine o'clock. So I'm good. Yes. <laughs> Vincent, you, you were you good. were worried, Vincent, that we couldn't talk for two hours, and we could oh, God. we could go for another two hours here if you want. Oh, <laughs> so, but here's the thing. Hopefully, we'll get Vincent to come back on. You know, and if you're interested, I'm sure I have some friends out there that will also love to interview you. Um, their shows are not as long as mine, but mine's the best. Well, what can I say? It's probably the reason why, because mine's longer. You know. That's what Hank she said. Strange, baby. <laughs> Hankstrange.com. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here. Uh Patrick This was fun. This was fun. Patrick, did you have anything fun, else fun. before Thank we Oh you're welcome. You're welcome. We're not done. We got a couple more minutes before we get out of here. Patrick, did you have no, I'm done. You're done. <laughs> Patrick, you don't have anything else, right? <laughs> no, no, I got lots of questions answered. Come on, Patrick. Yeah. What'd you got? <laughs> no, I, I he answered got? a ton of questions. It was good. Yeah, let's do this. Patrick, for the folks out there who are listening, watching, um, if they want to support you, how can they do that? Uh, YouTube.com slash babyface P. If you want to see uh, an MP5 being built, go check it out. Absolutely. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask that same question to you, Vincent, for the folks out there. And let me get this comment from Clint Sanders. He says, I don't agree with everything Vincent has said, but it's good to hear an old head with inside knowledge. Would love to see more of him on the show. And he gave us a big thumbs up. Um, for the folks out there, Vincent, who are just now discovering you, how can they find out more about you, communicate with you, help support you? You know what, dude? If they go to www.ratsnakesbook.com, that'll be my book. If if they want to just interact with me and have questions, and you know, I'm I'm in the game. Um, they'll they'll give them my uh, email address and whatever. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me, guys. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Thanks so much for coming on, taking our questions. Uh, Some of them were tough questions. I think, you know, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you coming on and answering. um, And I would really for the last time. Before we go to the end of the thing here, I would really recommend folks, if you're just joining us Yay! or something, go out there, check out rat snakes. You know what, Vincent, we can't go unless we explain to people what the hell are rat snakes. You got to do that real quick. What is a rat snake, sir? All right. The concept, it like evolved a bunch of us operators, undercover operators, and basically the bosses didn't like us, but they needed us. So... Like back in the old Western days, the, they would have set up a cabin or something, and they would have rodents, and they'd pull out a rat snake, and it would k- 
kill all the rodents. And, ah. and then they'd put the rat snake back in a jar in the basement until the next infestation. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the way we felt as undercover agents. And, like, we were never in the cameras or we were never in the limelight. But when they needed us, they pulled us back out and we'd go kill the rodents. Absolutely. You know what? If <laughs> that's, this That's cool. If this was a lot of years ago when I first moved to Florida, where I live now, out, out in the country, I wouldn't know what a rat snake is. But since I live out there, I've seen those snakes. And everyone says, no, mm-hmm. those snakes are good snakes. You leave them. Mm-hmm. They kill the rats mm-hmm. and all the other things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's where that comes from. Uh, I think a great title. Thanks so much, Vincent. Stay right. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. If, okay. If uh, if you folks have caught the end of this, you can rewind back. I'll pull out snippets and throw it up on the main Hank Strange channel. I'm going to run in the end right now. Stay right there, Vincent. Here we go. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for watching. Make sure that you smash the thumbs up. Uh, ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live. We're going to rip the audio out of this and throw it up on iTunes and all the other places that you guys can get your audio podcast from. Big thanks to Vincent A. Sheffaloo, uh, author, writer uh, of uh, Rat Snakes, as well as Babyface P, as well as Harry's Holsters, and all you guys out there. Uh, really appreciate you guys joining us. We're out of here. Vincent, hit us with the last words for the people to think out there before I end this. Hey, I love y'all, man. God bless America. Amen, brother. God bless America. We're out. Peace.